Welcome to the Mind Body Breakthroughs Podcast, where we bring you amazing guests on the cutting edge of science, health, and business each week to share strategies you can use to get the breakthrough that you are looking for in your life. I am your host, Chris Donahue, and with me is my co-host, Dr. Nevada Gray. We're so glad that you're joining us today, and we'd like to invite you to join our free, private Facebook community, Mind Body Breakthroughs. Proud affiliate of Redmond Real Salt, the best tasting and most mineral rich salt on the market without the microplastics and other issues of conventional salts. See the show notes for 15% off your order. The views expressed on the Mind Body Breakthroughs podcast are the opinions of the hosts and guests and are not to be taken as medical advice as the hosts and guests do not provide medical care. Information provided is for educational purposes only. You should consult your medical provider in relation to your personal health and prior to making any changes in your diet or fitness. Dr. Stephen Hussey is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and Master's in Human Nutrition and Functional Medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He is the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is the Key to Vibrant Health, and The Heart, Our Most Medically Misunderstood Organ. Dr. Hussey guides clients, or health participants, as he likes to call them, from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health-attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, playing sports, reading, writing, and spending time with his wife and their pets. All right, guys. Well, we are back with Dr. Stephen Hussey, America's heart coach, and we're going in another deep dive into a lot of the misconceptions and misunderstandings about the heart. Last time we learned how the heart is not a pump. Doc, what else are you going to uh, turn on his head for us today? How are you doing today, by the way? Pretty good, pretty good. Uh, this one's going to be a good one today. I'm excited. Awesome. Well, we are so excited to, to have you back on. Yes. So we wanted to start this series off dispelling some of the myths about cholesterol, uh, because I believe it's one of the most misunderstood topics in Madison. Uh, We've been preconditioned to think that LDL is bad for us and having high cholesterol um, can be bad. And is there a sugar attached to it? And and what makes cholesterol? um, What actually the better question would be, what role does cholesterol play in our body? What does it do? And then how does it help our heart and how does it harm our heart? Dispel some of those myths. Yeah, of course. So I think that we should start with, with how that myth started. And it, it started, um, you know, with Ansel Keys in his um, seven countries study or six countries study back in the 1950s. And he saw an association between um, cholesterol and saturated fat in the diet and heart disease. But we should we should know that that epidemiological studies like that one are not really reliable, and we can't really draw conclusions um, from them. They um, they can show us an association, but they can't show us causation. But nonetheless, um, 
he kind of took that information and, and, you know, said that eating those things caused heart disease and that high LDL was the marker we should be looking at, um, for predicting heart disease. Um, and then, you know, so that has been shown to be pretty wrong. I mean, the research does not back that up. Um, and there were lots of people that disagreed with him, but it just became the conventional wisdom for whatever reason, um, probably proper marketing from the right financial backing. But um, so that's how the whole myth got started. Um, and so it wasn't really backed on on sound, hard science. Um, and it's kind of set us back 70 years as far as diet and health goes. Um, but cholesterol is actually a very, very important molecule um, in our bodies. It's, you know, cl cholesterol is um, the backbone for every single hormone in our bodies. It's super important for that. So it's why, you know, if you have, um, if you're taking a statin drug, it's been associated with sexual dysfunction because you're not making sex hormones. Um, but also it's very important for our brain. Uh, it's very important for making uh, certain nutrients like vitamin D. Um, it's, uh, and so that's why people um, who, uh, who also take statins or have or low cholesterol have memory issues. Um, but it's, there's, there's lots of research that shows that people with higher cholesterol live longer, have better quality of life, um, and they have better memory, they have lower risk of heart disease, um, all kinds of posit positive associations um, between health and LDL cholesterol. And people with low LDL cholesterol, like normal to low, actually have higher rates of all kinds of things, from Alzheimer's to, to Parkinson's to infections to um, memory issues, uh, all kinds of stuff. That's just uh, uh, lower health outcomes um, if they have this this lower cholesterol. But what we need to quantify is that it, it's kind of you can't just look at this LDL marker alone um, and say whether or not you're going to have a heart attack. Um, what we really want to look at is we want LDL to be, I would say, um, high is okay as that's going to give you better health outcomes if you also have high HDL, low triglycerides, um, low markers of inflammation like high sensitivity reactive um, or C-reactive protein. Um, you have uh, low insulin resistance or no insulin resistance at all. Um, and you have low markers of oxidative stress. So um, various markers that you can measure for in your blood um, for oxidative stress. Um, so that's the, that's the kind of ideal blood work. And, and if, if that's going on, then I would argue that LDL could go as high as it wants. Um, and that's quite often what we see on people who are on ketogenic and carnivore diets is that LDL does skyrocket in some people. And again, that's okay because that type of diet also tends to make all those other biomarkers uh, turn out just fine as well. And so the reason for that is that whenever you start burning fatty acids and making ketones, um, which is what you want uh, for burning fuel, especially for your heart, um, then the, the same pathway that makes ketones is is the same pathway that makes um, uh, LDL cholesterol. So you just end up making more by default. Um, also, since the liver is making so much more, it turns off its receptors for cholesterol and leaves more in the blood, which will also make it go higher. And then lots of times people who are on those types of diets um, find that they're very satiating. And they end up fasting um, and fasting itself, just not eating, has been shown to increase 
LDL cholesterol because you're forcing your body to make ketones. When it makes ketones, it's going to make LDL as well. Um, so uh, not something really to fear as long as all those other markers are uh, in check as well. Now, that people are probably wondering then, you know, what causes atherosclerosis? If it's not high LDL in, in the blood, then why do these arteries get damaged or get clogged or, you know, whatever happens? But I think the first thing we should ask ourselves is, you know, if, if high LDL cholesterol causes atherosclerosis um, and LDL is distributed in the blood evenly, it's everywhere, then why do we only see atherosclerosis in some parts of the arteries? And why do we not see it in veins at all? Um, if it's there, then why isn't it um, getting clogged everywhere? Uh, and the answer to that is that, so if people listen to the last episode we did, we talked, we talked about um, how, you know, when blood is energized, it can form or it will form this structured water zone around the arteries. And one of the names for that structured water, it's got lots of names for whatever reason, you know, fourth phase water, structured water, but it's also called exclusion zone water. And it's called exclusion zone water because when it forms, it excludes everything that's not it. So if it is next to the lining of an artery, um, it's, it's protecting the lining of that artery because nothing is allowed to get through. And Dr. Pollock showed in his lab that they, proteins couldn't get through, dirt molecules from outside their lab couldn't get through, nothing can get through. So there's all this talk about, um, you know, it, it, is, the, is the cholesterol inflamed? Is it the small dense ones? Is it the ApoB? Uh, the AP little A's, all the, like, which one is it that's more um, going to cause that atherosclerosis? But it really doesn't matter if we have this intact structured water lining the artery because nothing can get through, no matter what it is. However, the lining, uh, that, that structured water can break down and become damaged. And so how it becomes damaged um, is, is because of oxidative stress. So oxidative stress is basically... Every time we burn energy, uh, we make an exhaust. Uh, that's just the nature of burning energy, just like your car burns fuel and it makes an exhaust, a waste product. And um, the same thing happens in our body, and that waste product is called a free radical. And a free radical um, is, is a molecule with an unpaired electron. Um, and so it likes to be paired, and it will do anything that it, it can to be paired. It's like the Looney Tunes Tasmanian Devil. It just goes over and wrecks whatever it can to get paired. And it, that will, it would steal um, an electron from any tissue, damaging it. Uh, it oftentimes steals from mitochondria. But um, I talked about in the last post how this, this structured zone of water is very negatively charged um, because of the way that it forms. Therefore, it has a lot of electrons to donate. And so if we have a high amount of oxidative stress, which exposure to um, um, external toxins can also cause oxidative stress. Um, so our toxin exposure, we got to watch that as well. If we have high oxidative stress, we can actually break down this uh, fourth phase water that's lining the arteries and protecting it. Um, and when it breaks down, um, then that same inflammatory oxidatively stressed environment that was breaking down that water is now in direct contact with the lining of your artery. And so it will damage the lining of the artery. And when the, the lining of an artery gets damaged, um, it's at risk of rupturing and a plaque forming, and that's not a good thing, um, you know, a clot forming. We don't want that. 
So what the body does is it takes cholesterol and minerals, um, various types of minerals, and um, even even oxalates have been found in atherosclerotic lesions, uh, which it's funny because oxalates really have no use in the body. So the body's like, what are we going to do with this? I don't know. Let's throw it into the, and repair this artery. Uh, but that's what the body's doing. It's repairing this, this damage so that it doesn't end up in a, in a rupture. Um, but when it repairs that, um, as far as I know, that's not a hydrophilic surface. So now that structured water can't form on top of that again. Um, and now that could interrupt blood flow. Um, and um, it, it, to me, it's, it's one of the reasons why we get, you know, poor blood flow and circulation is because we have damaged arteries and no structured water. Now, as far as the question of why do we only get it in certain areas of the artery, um, well, why do we only get it in arteries? And the answer to that is that there's more pressure in arteries. So we have this high oxidative stress and that pressure in the artery is just it's just bombarding up against the the uh, fourth phase water and the lining of the artery more because it's under pressure whereas that's not happening as much in the veins they're not under much pressure and then as far as why we only see it in some areas um it's because we usually see it in areas where there's um, a lot of turbulence or more pressure so like where the where the arteries bifurcate which they split um we see more atherosclerosis there or uh, when it's going around a curve um you know, and it gets pressed up against the curve there. We see more atherosclerosis there because the oxidative, the free radicals are being jammed up against that. And just it, the, the stealing of an electron is just more likely to happen from that pressure. And also the coronary arteries are under a lot of pressure because of the expanding and contracting of the heart. Um, and so it makes sense that we see a lot of atherosclerosis there. Um, so that's, that's the, that's the gist of how atherosclerosis forms. And it just, there's even another role for this this fourth phase water that builds up in our bodies, even more of a reason to to get out into the sun and, and um, uh, be in contact with the earth and all these different things. Um, so uh, questions about atherosclerosis and cholesterol? Yeah, that's that's uh, that's fascinating. And I think it just goes to how it's all about getting to root cause. You know, so many people are chasing symptoms. They're blaming the body's responses instead of what is actually causing this. So it's like, you know, blaming the firefighter for showing up to the fire. And it's that underlying inflammation and this dysregulated energy metabolism that is really causing the problem. One of your recent posts, you talked a little bit about ketones and obviously on ketogenic and carnivore diets, uh, ketones are, are formed and we know that it's a preferred fuel for the heart and it's a much cleaner burning fuel. Uh, like you talked about, you're not getting those reactive oxygen species and all of this, you know, metabolic waste products. Can you just talk for a few minutes about ketones and just the benefits that they have for us and, you know, especially for the heart? Yeah. So the, the main benefit to being fat adapted and using ketones for fuel is like you said, they are just a cleaner fuel source. So A, we're going to get um, more energy burning fats and ketones. I believe it's um, like if we put um, a fat through metabolism, we get 48 um, molecules of ATP at the end of it. And with the carbohydrate, we get 36. So obviously it's more efficient to burn fats. Um, but also we're not going to get um, oxidative stress. So when we burn fats for energy, we get less free radical production as well. Um, and so when we burn, um, carbohydrates, we get more free radical production. 
And so that's just going to contribute to the oxidative stress that's going to break down that fourth phase water, damage the artery, um, and, and cause all kinds of issues. Um, but I, another question that I, I get a lot is this, I just, you know, talked about atherosclerosis and these plaque formations and how they can form in, um, in the coronary arteries, you know, of the heart. And so people will say, well, that's how we get heart attacks. Well, not so fast. Um, I, I kind of want to prime the pump for, for, um, uh, you know, future, future, um, installments of this series. But there was this research done by this pathologist named Giorgio Baraldi, and he studied the idiopathogenesis of, of coronary artery disease. And he did these, these plastic cast studies, um, where he would inject this plastic material into the arteries of the autopsied hearts. And then he would heat them and the, and the, um, the plastic cooled, uh, or not cooled, it hardened, sorry. And, um, and then he dissolved away the rest of the tissue with hydrochloric acid. And what he had was left was this perfect cast of the arterial system of the heart. And so he found a lot of interesting things studying this for like his whole career. And now he was, he was studying this. He started studying this about the same time that, um, Ansel Keys came out with this whole, you know, LDL and cholesterol and clogged arteries and that kind of stuff. Um, so he was basically disproving it as it was becoming the mainstream uh, conventional wisdom. But, um, and it's been largely ignored since then for all these work, but he found a lot of interesting things. So one thing that he found was that anywhere there was a, a more than 70% blockage or stenosis, a narrowing of an artery, a coronary artery, the heart had built a collateral system of arteries around it, anywhere from seven to 33 um, uh, different collateral arteries around the system. So when we look at the research that shows us that bypass surgeries aren't really that effective, they don't really have better outcomes, things like that, it's because the heart really already built a collateral system of arteries. Um, we didn't need to bypass it anymore. And people, I've heard people say that, yeah, but those are weaker, but there's all these case studies of, of men who had, you know, 90, 95% blockages and full collateral artery systems running marathons, uh, like multiple marathons. So they're supplying just as much blood as the, as the main artery would have. Um, but also he found that, um, he found that there were people when he did autopsies that did not die of a heart attack yet had, you know, 90, 95, hundred percent blockages of arteries when he did the autopsy. But they, they didn't die of a heart attack. They had no um, medical history of heart symptoms at all. Um, so it's just you know, interesting. And then he, there was people that um, had, who had died of a heart attack and had no evidence of a stenosis or a plaque formation or anything anywhere. Um, so it, there was this one study that he did where in 50% of the hearts he autopsied, I think he did 208 hearts um, in this study. Um, and in 50%, there was absolutely no blockage or stenosis anywhere. And then uh, in the other 50, there was, um, oftentimes there was a stenosis of significant quantity, but the stenosis was not in an, it was in a different area of where the heart attack occurred. So let's say the stenosis was blocking the right coronary artery or the left circumflex artery or something like that, but the heart attack happened in the left anterior descending artery or uh, left anterior descending area, um, uh, the area of the heart that that artery would supply. So that doesn't make sense either. He also found that sometimes there was a plaque, um, but the plaque was really old. It had been there a long time, and the heart attack had just happened. Um, so what was going on there, you know? 
and then there was other evidence of of um, basically evidence that there was there was plaques there, but they weren't a cause of the heart attack. It was evidence that um, they had happened after the heart attack happened. These plaque form formations or these these breaks off of a stenosis that flowed down to a smaller artery, and the basic evidence of, for that was that. Um, you know, he would find a plaque formation and it was down in, in a lower part of a, a smaller artery here, but the heart attack happened at a much broader scale upstream from where that was. Um, so how could that plaque formation that blocked just this small area down here cause, you know, a heart attack in this much bigger area? So, um, and then he also found that, um, uh, he found where the plaque came from too. It, it basically broke off from uh, uh, area of stenosis. He found like a fresh breaking off of it, and that's where it came from. Um, and there's reasons for why that is, but we'll have to save that for um, uh, uh, when we talk about what causes heart attacks. But um, so basically, he, when you look at this, if you do the statistics in that study, 50% of the heart attacks had no blockage whatsoever, whether it was stenosis or plaque. 50% did, but of that 50%, 93% of them were not the cause of the heart attack. So if you do the stats there, then that means that there was like 96.5% um, of the heart attacks, um, autop or the heart's autopsied um, were not caused by any blockage or stenosis. But it also means that there is a certain percentage that was. So it's not that it can't happen, not that it can't cause a heart attack. And it makes sense too, because we see infarction in other areas of the body. We see renal infarction, but they're extremely rare. Um, so I would, I would argue that, you know, um, this, this, it's just as rare in the heart. Um, and there's another mechanism for what causes a heart attack. Um, and it's, it's not this blockage theory. So Beraldi's work is just absolutely fascinating. Um, and, um, it, and unfortunately it's been largely ignored, but also other pathologists who really look at atherosclerosis and coronary artery, um, uh, pathology, you know, they weren't as, um, convincing as what Beraldi's research showed but they were not really convinced that it was blockage either. They were kind of like, well, you know, it kind of makes sense that that's what's happening, but we don't really have any solid evidence that shows that's exactly what's happening. They were just kind of like indifferent about it. Um, but Beraldi was the one, the only one I know of that's, that was, that really showed that it just doesn't make sense. Um, so that, that should, you know, whet people's appetite for, um, what, what actually does cause heart attacks, but how does that make sense? Yes, this is absolutely fascinating um, because based on what the general public has been educated on and what we've been educated on as providers, uh, we're educated that, you know, cholesterol is harmful. We have to watch our diets. We have to, you know, eat a low, low fat, um, which the low fat diet, most of those products are high sugar, uh, which can actually cause glycation or sugar to attach to the LDL and malform it. So it's, a, it's not doing its job in the body. But what fascinates me the most is the huge emotional component, um, not just the dietary component, but the huge emotional component that goes into heart disease and that can trigger um, a heart attack. And that's something that I'm really looking forward to talking about in our next segment. And it's, that's what we do in the Mind Body Breakthroughs is really empower people uh, to look at their emotional health, which is, I think, one of the largest components um, in health. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. I think that it's it's extremely overlooked too because people say, um, 
oh, you know, I'm stressed. Uh, and, and they say, oh, I need to, you know, watch my diet and things like that. And they can, they can make a, you know, a physical change in their, in their lifestyle to do that. But they oftentimes stress is just overlooked and it's just, it's a result of us, you know, having to do whatever it takes to, um, to do our job so we can make money so they can provide for ourselves and our family. And we just kind of, we take all this stress on, uh, without thinking about, I mean, we think about how it impacts our health, but it's just not something that people make a priority um, to, to get a hold of. Um, and it's, you know, as we'll talk about is, is, um, it's one of the driving forces, if not the biggest driving force, um, in, in, in a heart attack. So it's, and it, but it also affects many other things. Um, you know, if you're, if you're running in a, in a stress response, your body is not thinking it's, it thinks it needs to get away from a threat. So Mm -hmm. it's not thinking about sleeping. So we see insomnia and all kinds of issues happen when people don't sleep. Um, it, it's not thinking about digesting. So we see digest, digestive issues. And so many people say that when I'm stressed, I feel it in my gut, you know? Um, and it, it's, it's, uh, your body's not thinking about reproducing. So people have sexual dysfunction when they're in a high stress state and they can't get out of it. Um, your body's not going to do basic metabolic things like, like detoxification when you're in a stress state, because that's, that's reserved for times when we're, when we're not getting away from a threat. And if your body thinks it's trying to get away from a threat, it shuts all those other systems down. Um, and then that can lead to overstimulation of, of the adrenal glands and we get adrenal fatigue and then we get stuck in the cycle. Um, so stress is, is huge. It can totally alter um, your the whole workings, the whole system of workings of the body. Um, but it's especially true for, for the heart. Yeah, it's, it's almost as if we're socially conditioned now to be living as if it's a fire drill at all times. in our lives and not only are we taking on the emotional toxic load uh, but that's also leading to a physical toxic load that creates a huge imbalance and this is I think mind-blowing to a lot of people Uh, the role that uh, emotional health is probably the number one um, driver of of heart health uh, which would be the complete opposite of what we would think because we're so conditioned at this point that stress is just normal. It's just a normal part of, of life because we've lost connection with the earth, the sunshine, and all of the components that, that go into balance us. Yeah. And there's there's something to be said for like, you know, a you stress and a distress, you know, a, a stress that's positive, um, that that can kind of um, help form our physiology and and you know make us more resilient. But then there's there's distress and there's chronic stress that, or unnatural stress, I would say, um, that, that, you know, stress that we're not evolved to handle, especially on a chronic basis. Uh, and that's the key is that the, the evolved stress response in mammals, which is what we are, um, is designed for, uh, pretty much being in nature. And it's not really set up for, um, this higher level thinking, uh, being that we are, you know, we're, we're the only species that can really think our way into a stress response. Um, and that's, you know, as, as much as our high level thinking has done good for us, um, when we put ourselves in an unnatural environment, you can see the mismatch. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we can see something stressful happen to somebody else. And even though we're at no threat whatsoever, we can think that it's going to happen to us and stress ourselves out because of it. Or we can have something stressful happen to us. And, and instead of forgetting about it, in five minutes, like most animals, mammals do, we think about it the rest of the day or the rest of the week or the rest of the month. Um, and it can stress us out 
for chronically for a very long time. Um, and so that's, again, it's, it's the, the mismatch. And it's why it's so important that we, that we get a properly developed um, autonomic nervous system and we, we learn how to be in a safe environment um, from, from age zero to six months. Um, that's, that's the key window. Uh, maybe even a little bit longer than that, but that's why it's it's so important because then we can always default back to that state. Um, but if your if your default state is already a little bit off or a little bit more toward the stress response, then you're at a disadvantage. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So there is hope in this situation because if you can think yourself sick, you can also think yourself well, um, and think yourself into a state of good health. And that's what Chris and I are really advocating for in our mind-body breakthroughs community. Um, Chris, I, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. I'm, I'm just really oh, no, excited that, about this topic. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's just such an empowering uh, understanding that we do have so much more control, that we're not a victim to our genetics. We're just not a victim to all of these outside forces, but that we can change and retrain our mind and through that, uh, really affect our body in a very deep way and epigenetically turn on and off, uh, you know, different, different genes that affect all of this. So I, uh, I love that with all of this, we're getting more to the source and we're not uh, lost in the weeds of, uh, you know, oh, it's, it's saturated fat or it's this or it's that. So, and Doc, we are super excited about our next episode where we're going to talk about what actually does cause a heart attack and what can we do to prevent it. And so we will leave tonight with that. Looking forward to that. Just tell these guys where they can find you and how they can learn more about all of this fascinating research. Yep. So uh, I'm at uh, resourceforhealth.com. It's where my blog is. It's where my books are and where I run my health coaching from. So people want to work with me, that's where they should go. Uh, and I'm also pretty active on, on social media, posting all kinds of interesting stuff about this um, um, on, on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. And my handle is just Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. So they can, they can find me there. Thank you so much, Dr. Hussey. This was amazing. And so many people are going to gain value from the series. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today, Mind Body Breakthrough. Chris and I truly appreciate each and every one of you. Be sure to subscribe and tell a friend and to join us in our free Mind Body Breakthrough Facebook community where you can start peeling away the layers of everything that's not you so you can be you.